know, it's interesting. When you read the book of Revelation, there's technology. That was written 2,000 years ago about, right? Wow, by the Apostle John. And it's so ahead of its time because God's telling us the future. Like you see way back 2,000 years ago, uh, you see different things you don't see. You wouldn't, wouldn't, couldn't even understand then. Like, if you remember the battle, Jews, Jerusalem was, you know, they first parked their armor there in the, just in the late 60s. And, and then it wasn't until 70 that, that Rome, Rome's huge, it was the world empire. It took them a while, took a few years before they finally toppled Jerusalem, which they had been ruling. Yet in book of Revelation, Babylon, the great city, way more powerful than Jerusalem, it goes up in flames in an hour. And, and Jesus said, if he didn't, doesn't return when he returns, nobody, no flesh would be saved on earth. There'd be total annihilation. That made no sense back then, right? Makes total sense today. In fact, it says in Zechariah 14, when the Lord returns, it says people that are standing up, while they're standing up, it says their tongues and their eyes will be dissolved. Their tongues will be dissolved from their sockets. Okay, and I'm sorry, their eyes will be dissolved from their sockets, their tongues will be dissolved. You guys don't have tongues that come out of your eyes? Come on, man. <laughs> uh, so everything would just be dissolved. I mean, that before nuclear warfare, that was inconceivable, right? And it says there'll be a numbering system where everybody has to take, there'll be like a digital type currency or something where everybody will have to take a mark in the right hand of their forehead, 666, to buy or sell. That, wasn't, that couldn't have happened back in those days. Every nation, people, and tongue taking a, a number to buy or sell. Well, what are they talking about right now? Centralizing the banks, right? Going digital, getting rid of uh, currency, getting rid of you know, paper and stuff like that. Oh, and also talks about uh, people, you know, today, back in those days, if something happened, you had to be in the vicinity, you have to see it, you have to be close. But today we can see something on the other side of the world. Well, the Bible says that would happen too. It says when the two witnesses are killed, it says everybody from the nations and people in tongues We'll, be, we'll see their dead bodies. That's a trip. And they'll be killed over there in Israel. And those who kill them will actually send gifts to each other. Hmm, isn't that interesting? What do Muslims do when they have a successful terrorist attack, many of them? They send gifts to each other. It's really crazy what's going on right now. Everything's just lining up. And I'm just touching to the tip of my, you know, the top of my brain, the tip of the iceberg. You know, just things just wasn't planned on talking about, but it's all over the place. So you have to realize. So it's 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 crazy. We're leaving this book, right? And we got a couple of verses left, three verses or so left. And uh, but because of the times that we live in, but I'll be getting back. You know me. I'll be getting back to prophecy off and on through the next whatever we're in, right? We always do some topical things here and there. And, and when we're in a really devotional book, we'll do a topical thing when it fits. When something really crazy happens, like, wow, check this out, you know? And there's always the book of Daniel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not going there anytime soon. But uh, that's, that's a really great prophetic book, and there's great prophetic passages. So it's interesting. Go, please, to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. And we're at the very last page of the Bible. Uh, verse 18 I testify to everyone. It's a solemn warning at the end of the book of Revelation because we need to take this book so seriously that we do not trifle with it. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy 
of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Wow. We talked about that last week. And we got into that a little bit. And, and uh, then verse 19, we really didn't get into. And if anyone, what? Takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take what? Away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Wow. Now, I want to get at least through the rest of what we're talking about in verse 18 and in verse 19 today. I was going to try to get all done in one big shebang, you know, last week. And I was like, no, I can't end just super fast with these verses because we've got to keep somewhat of the pace we started with, <laughs> you know. And I had just too much, uh, I had too much meat on the bone. I thought, nope, I don't want to end with that or that. I've got to end with this, but I can't get to this until I do with that. Because otherwise this isn't as powerful without that. You know how that goes, right? <laughs> so it's interesting. But, uh, and I gave you verses in the scriptures in Deuteronomy and Proverbs where it talks not to add or take away to God's word at all. Not just the book of Revelation. You don't mess with God's word. God says, this is the one to whom I look, the one who fears and trembles at my word. Amen? That's my brothers and sisters. All Christians who fear and tremble at his word. I don't care what denomination they're in. If they fear and tremble at his word, the, the, the psalmist said, I'm a companion with all those who fear you. Those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And they may be Methodist, they may be Baptist, they may be Presbyterian, they may be Pentecostal, you know. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? And we may differ on things, and we're going to differ on some things, but as long as you have the essentials down and you believe that Jesus Christ is God, amen, that he gave himself for the sins of the world. He became flesh. He gave himself for the sins of the world. He had a virgin birth. The Bible is the word of God. There's heaven and hell. Amen. That we're saved by grace through faith and not by works. Amen. And, and, you're, and you're not adding or taking away to God's word. You're my brother. Amen. So we need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And we also need to make sure we're humble when we're in their midst and love them. Recognizing that we, we might think, well, they're off in this area. Well, guess what? We all see, see through a glass darkly. Amen. So we all could be off in areas. Amen. Some of us don't even turn our phone off when we come to church, you know. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That happens every, every service, you know. In fact, I don't even know who it was. So if you're newer and it's you, it's, no, it's not personal. It's just my sense of humor, okay. So, <laughs> in fact, praise the Lord for, for whoever. Uh, I remember Camille one day. She's not with us anymore. She, she died. She got up right where you're at, Sister Julie. And she got up and she had her keys or something because he just heard this. Oh, because some of you were there. She clanged the pole really loud. And it was like, doing. You know, if you have keys out, you can kind of simulate that. No, don't worry about it. And it was so funny because if you know Camille, I was like, yes, Camille. And she turned around. You know? But anyway, uh, it's really very important. It's so important that we, we love our brothers and sisters. And when, if we think they're off in an area that we lovingly share with them, amen, and that we're also open because we could misunderstand something. All of us do. We also see through a glass darkly, amen. So we want to love our brothers and sisters, you know, uh, no matter what denomination they're from. Uh, now, if they're, they're denying the essentials, right, of salvation, right, teaching that you have to work your way to get, be right with God, right, or teaching, you know, uh, just, you know, what, I always make a distinction between what we call damnable heresies and flammable heresies. And I wanted the Lord to give me ways to kind of Discern, explain to people how you got to make a distinction here. 
Because damnable heresies are things that you believe that will damn your soul. Jesus is not God. You know, that we're not saved by grace through faith. You have to attain work to save yourself, basically, essentially. Or that you can blaspheme God and do what thou wilt and still be saved. Now, I believe there's people that believe that that are still saved because they've been believed in false teaching and they're still trusting Jesus. And they don't do that, right? They're just still trusting Jesus even though they believe that. But those who are teaching that, that's, that could be very damnable. So I steer clear of those types of teachers. But damnable heresies are, are those heresies that deny the Bible's the word of God, you know, all kinds of things like that. Flammable heresies are different. They're what I call flammable heresies, and I just say that because I tried to find something that rhymed with damnable, but, and, but have the sense of where it's not damning, but it's dangerous. And flammable means it can catch fire. And I would say, for instance, the teaching of, you know, just certain teachings that you know that I talk about that are family, te- that are inside the family that we disagree with, you know, like pre-trib. I love my pre-trib brother. I praise God that they see the end times coming. That's good. But they're being taught that they won't be there. And they're going to be freaked out, many of them, because I've seen their texts. I've read them. I've, I mean, their writings. And I've read the writings of their leaders. If we have to go through the tribulation, it's not the blessed hope. It's the blasted hope. So people are being set up for fall. So I believe a lot of people that are being set up for that fall will say, oh, wait a minute, man. Man, that, what Tommy was telling me about that. No, it's, we're going to go through it. He's right. And they won't fall because they're like, but others are like, and some are saying, if God lets me go through the tribulation, then he's an evil God. A loving God would never do that. Those folks are going to be in trouble. They both believe the same lie, but that, the, some of those people are going to, I've, I've got quotes from them. I won't, I'll, I'll turn away. I won't, I, you know, he's a hateful God. Then I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. He works it out for the good. And so it can become flammable, meaning it's a heresy, it's a false teaching that could cause a person to forsake the Lord. Amen. Kind of like once saved, always saved, right? My brothers and sisters that I once saved, always saved, I love them in Jesus. They're my brothers and sisters. But if they start living it out and rebelling against God, thinking they're saved, then it becomes that flammable heresy can become a damnable heresy. Are you with me? So if you're in the midst of somebody who denies that we're saved by grace through faith and says, you know what, you have to keep the dietary laws in the Old Testament, you have to keep the Sabbath, you have to do these things to be saved, well, then that's seriously, you know, or you teach like Roman Catholicism does, that you have to be purged, the blood of Jesus wasn't sufficient to save you from your sins, so you have to burn off your sins in purgatory, and you have to have certain works that add to your justification to be right with God. Nah, that's damnable heresy, you know? So then you, you speak to them as, hey, you need to know Jesus. You need to be born again and not trust your works because that's the Galatian Judaizer heresy, amen? Yeah. So that's important stuff, you know? But if someone believes different than you, and I mean, Brother Doug Stapleton, he was our worship leader for, now he's our worship leader again. Welcome back, Doug. <laughs> but for almost 10 years, and for most of those years, he was pre-trib. You know? We sat for long hours after every Sunday service. I'd give him scriptures for hours. No, I'm just kidding. No, he was, he was pre-trib. I knew he was pre-trib, but he loved Jesus, you know, and I felt he's going to get it eventually, and, you know, and, uh, and he got it. Now Doug's, like, telling other people, hey, are you ready to go through it, you know, <laughs> and he's such an apologist now, you know, so it's exciting, but it's, uh, so we love our brothers who, who differ, but the book of Revelation is very, these warnings, you have to take the warnings seriously, though, Amen. You have to take the warnings very seriously. But when you're with someone who differs, don't get all, you know, just start hitting them or spitting at them and, oh, you're not a Christian. Not that you would do that, but just love them, you know. I love to talk to people 
Uh, people come in here and visit our fellowship that, and they say, I agree with you in this area, but you know, praise God, I love this church. We have people, it seems like, just about every week that visit from other cities, other states, sometimes other countries that follow our ministry. Almost every, you know, last Wednesday, a, a, a couple came. I saw them for the first time. And that happens last several Sundays in a row, you know. Met new people that follow the ministry. And they don't, that a lot of times, they'll, well, I don't agree with this, you know. And then you just love each other and say, well, praise God, this is, I see it like this and so forth, and you see it like that, you know, and you know. And I don't say, I don't even say like, well, you come around, bro. I don't talk like that. I just say, you know, and I want to see what they, they have to say and so forth. But it's interesting because uh, you don't want to take the glib viewpoint and say, well, pre-mid or post, it'll all pan out. It doesn't really matter because doctrine does matter. It matters what we believe because it can affect, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees had a certain concept of the first coming of the Messiah, and they were totally off, and they missed him. Yeah. Amen? This is serious stuff. So we want to make sure we don't add or take away to the Scripture. Remember last week when I was dealing with taking away from the Scripture, I quoted Ian McKellen, the actor from, like, Lord of the Rings. He plays Gandalf. Remember that? The, the wizard, Right? And he says when he goes in the script, in, into a hotel room, he's done taking this. He's ripped pages out of over 100 Bibles when he goes to a hotel room of Gideon Bibles. He finds them and rips out the passage in Luke 18, you know, verse 22, where it says, you know, not men are not to sleep with other men, in bed other men. It's an abomination. He rips the pages out. I thought, wow, he doesn't realize there's several other pages he needs to rip out. I'm not going to tell him. Hopefully he didn't hear this. But uh, it's a serious, serious thing uh, to add or take away uh, from God's word. And uh, so taking away and adding. I want to talk more about that. And you can take away from God's word in various ways. Okay? Now, what if I said, hey, you guys, I have a new Bible, you know? And there were certain things I didn't like in the book of Revelation, right? Just two different verses. I just didn't like them, you know? And I didn't like you know, one that, you know, say I felt like I was lukewarm, right? So it talks about, Jesus says, you know, I would that you were hot or cold, but because thou art lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. So I'm like, I'm just going to cut that verse out. Oh, and I, I don't like another one. I don't like the idea that I can be blotted out of the book of life, Revelation 3, 5. He that overcomes, you know, will not be blotted out of the book of life, right? And I just, or it says, yeah, he won't, you know, I'll confess his name before my father. And I, and I cut that one out. I don't like that one either. And then I presented my new book of Revelation. I put this, oh, I just use a new, this new translation, but that's the only two things I changed. Would that be okay or would I be in serious trouble? This is where it gets scary for me. What if I didn't cut them out with scissors, but I gave you an interpretation of the book of Revelation that just didn't wipe out a verse or two, but wiped out entire chapters? And it had not, not only the same effect, but a worse effect because now there's whole chapters you don't believe apply to you. Are you with me? That's very serious too. Now, I do believe a lot of people have adopted interpretations that wipe out entire chapters of the book of Revelation, entire books, dare I say, of the Bible. And those that have that belief system because it's been handed down to them or they've just inherited their theology and they haven't really studied it themselves and done the exegesis and so forth, I don't believe those folks are necessarily damned. I just believe they've bought into something that's not true. And it's serious, though. 
Those who are teaching these things, though, right, and trying to get people to ignore certain passages or adding through their interpretations to the Scripture, that's more dangerous. I leave that before the Lord. I'm just saying that's a, there's a danger that I'm real concerned about there. And we all ought to be concerned about it. Because guess what? It was because of the traditions and the interpretations of Scripture that the Pharisees and Sadducees missed Jesus' first coming. They didn't go to the text of the Old Testament and start cutting out Scriptures, but their interpretations, Jesus said, nullified the Word of God. He, the Lord Jesus, whom we serve, took this very seriously, and he warned in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 and verse 13, and he continued, that is Jesus, saying, uh, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. And he gave an example there that I don't have time to get into, where it allowed the Pharisees and Sadducees, or the religious leaders, to get the money of widows because of what they did with their interpretations. And we have to be really, really careful with this because right now, it's not just cutting one or two verses out as horrific as that is and would be, right? Joseph Smith's done that. I gave examples last week if you heard that message where he changed the word of God. He added a prophecy about himself into Genesis chapter 50 that said it was originally there. So ridiculous. You know, I gave other examples too where he does that in his Joseph Smith translation. Total arch heretic, damnable heresies. Made Romans chapter 4 say, you will not be justified by faith, you know, right? He does not justify the ungodly. He puts the word not in there. And then a little bit later on, he says, faith and works. He adds works to the verse where Paul says, by faith in Romans 4. He does that to Romans 4, which is all about how we're saved by grace through faith. Isn't that amazing? But you could do that with entire chapters, entire books. Uh, right now, there's what I call, and a lot of people call, uh, the Hymenaean heresy. Hymenaeus, Philetus, Alexander the coppersmith, we read about them, a couple of them in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we read about a couple of those guys. They were causing the faith of some to fail. It says that. And their doctrine, it said, would spread like cancer. Well, what were they teaching? They were teaching a form of preterism. Preterism comes from the word the Latin word preter, which comes from a word that means past. They were teaching that prophetic events that the, the church was supposed to be looking forward to already took place in the past. So they were wiping out the prophecies that had to do with the future. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, they were saying that the resurrection has already come to pass and overthrow the faith of some. Because that's part of our blessed hope. Our blessed hope is Jesus' return and we'll be caught up to meet him in the air and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we'll be caught up to meet him there, right? And all of a sudden you're denying that. And that's become a very popular doctrine today, preterism. Okay, there's many people teaching that the resurrection has already come to pass. It's called full preterism. There's some preterists that are teaching that most of Matthew 24 came to pass already. The book of Revelation already came to pass, or if, uh, at least most of it's already passed, right? You don't have to be concerned about these prophecies or going through the tribulation because that's already happened. And the Antichrist was Nero in 70 AD. While these 
scholars, so-called, do they realize, do they read Irenaeus and Justin Martyr and Hippolytus and Tertullian and all these church fathers who write it on the heels, second, third century of Nero? And they're all looking for the Antichrist and they're all looking at the book of Revelation saying, man, it's going to happen. They're looking at Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and the book of Daniel. And they're saying, man, this is coming up. This is going to be coming someday. They didn't think it came to pass. But preterism, by the way, uh, those that believe in post-millennialism, that means Christ won't come back until after the church sets up the kingdom, which is still going to be any time in the future. They think really close, some of them. And then after the thousand-year millennium, then Jesus finally comes back. Talk about robbing you of the hope of his coming, right? That's, and, but most today, most post-millennialists are preterists. And some preterists say that most of the book of Revelation and these other prophetic books are already fulfilled. There's barely anything left. Full preterists say we're already resurrected. Many full preterists say, guess what? We're in the new heaven and the new earth right now, and there's no more tears. That is just so sad. Think about it. Because if all of a sudden you believe that, then you're ignoring these books. Are you with me? It's so important. And it has incredibly practical effects that could destroy your walk. We warn all the time, wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. And this is when a flammable heresy can become damnable. Because if you just believe certain prophecies have already come to pass, but you love Jesus, you're in danger, right? You're still in danger now. But if you go to full preterism, you start denying the resurrection, right? Now you're in a damnable heresy. Because now you're de denying a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith which is tied to the blessed hope and tied to the gospel. So it's very, very serious stuff. Uh, in fact, uh, it's so serious that a lot of the post-mills today, they're teaching that the next step for us is to take over the world for Christ. Many post-mills believe in the so-called seven mountain mandate. Those mountains are, you know, government. We're supposed to take over the government. We're supposed to take over education. You know, supposed to take over the media. Really? Think Hollywood's going to say, oh yeah, we want you to just make just Christian movies now. We'll sit back, tell us what to make. <laughs> I mean, you look around, you don't, you look at the scripture, you do not see post-millennialism. You look at, you look around, you don't see it. It's not happening, you know. So, so it's heartbreaking because, but it, it sounds so good to the ears, Right? Wow, we're going to rule and reign right now, even before Jesus comes back. We're going to take over the White House from Biden. We're going to take this. We're going to take the media. We're and, and the world's just going to all come to Christ, or most of them. Oh, and it's so positive. It sounds so good, but it's a lie. And it tickles ears. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul said in the last days, they would tickle your ears, these teachers. People heap themselves, many teachers that would tell them what they want to hear. It sounds a lot better than what I preach, I have to admit. It sounds a lot better than what the historic church it sounds to the ears a lot better than many people. Oh, well, it's a triumphant, positive, you're premillennialist, you know, whether you're pre, mid, or post-trib, which pre, mid, and post-trib are pre-mill. We believe Christ is coming back to set up his kingdom, right? And rule for a thousand years, right? They call, it, they call that pessimillennialism. It's pessimistic, you know? We're positive. We're going to take over the government for Jesus. That's a delusion, though. And this is, a, this is a battle that's raging in the church right now, and you as Christians ought to be aware of it. Because right now, as I talk in the last few years, post-millennialism is getting more and more popular. 
It got really popular in the 1800s. Early 1900s, it was like its highest level almost. It was like, wow, we're taking over the gospel, spreading. We're, everyone's going to become Christians, or most people are going to become Christians, or, and peace and prosperity, peace and security. Yay, World War I. Whoa, what happened? Okay, well, we, let's get our engine going. Post-mill, man. World War II. Over 50 million people killed in World War II. And then they just took post-millennialism, just, okay, it shriveled up and almost died. And then you had the Cold War, the rise of the Soviet Union, right? Over 100 million people killed through Stalin, Lenin, and the Marxist policies, through Chairman Mao in China. More people killed in the last century than all of humanity, and this were by atheists, by the way. When people say, well, there's religious wars, that's why I don't consider Jesus. Well, guess what? We're not about the religions you're talking about. We're about a relationship with Jesus, which is pure and undefiled religion, following him. Amen. About a relationship and knowing Jesus. And Christians, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, then he said, my servants would fight. But we don't fight. We don't try to spread the gospel with the sword. We're not called to conquer people. We're called to be lambs to the slaughter. Oh, that's such a pessimist. No, it's not. It's victorious. How is that victorious? Because when I read in the book of Revelation, I read they had victory over the beast, those who were martyred. Revelation 15, 2. I love that. These had victory. They were on the sea of crystal sea, the sea of glass. They had victory over the beast through their deaths. Revelation 12, 11, And they, they overcame him, that is Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, they love not their lives unto death. Amen. So the cool thing about our theology is that whether we live or die, we have victory in Christ. Amen? Amen? And if we get martyred, we don't say we're losers. We say, praise the Lord. To be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. And guess what? He uses these tribulations to perfect his bride and bring forth his glorious bride that will reign with him and rule with him for a thousand years during the millennium when he comes back. Amen? Amen. Doesn't get more glorious than that. He's not coming back for a Laodicean prostitute, the whore of Babylon. He's coming back for the precious bride of Christ. And the bride, guess what? She needs to go through some stuff, to, to go through some trials, to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? To be purified. We're purified by the blood as far as our sins go, amen? But man, the character of the church is just so disgusting. It's very Laodicean, right? And guess what? God uses tribulation to perfect, it says. So this is very, very important to understand. So Hymenaean heresies to teach that the resurrection has already come to pass. Now, please keep in mind, if, if, if you run into a preterist, don't say, oh, they're, they have the Hymenaean heresies, they're heretics, they're full-blown. You have to be able to make sure you make, have discernment. You have to say, okay, wait, if you're teaching that the resurrection has already come to pass, right? That is, and even, even non-full preterists, preterists that don't believe that, they consider that outside the pale of orthodoxy, outside, not unchristian, heretical, damnable, Right? But partial preterists believe, no, we're, the resurrection is still coming. The second coming is coming still. But the second coming in Revelation chapter, or Matthew 24 already happened immediately after the tribulation was in 70 AD. They're still off because they're writing off entire passages, amen? And you'll run into people like that, and you have to, you have to be patient and just try to explain to them because uh, I believe they have you know, been deluded. So you have to say, hey, this is for today. This is coming up, man. You need to understand you know, and just love them. But it's very, very serious. I mean, we had a family 
in this fellowship who I love. I still love them. I still pray for them, actually. Haven't been here probably for, I don't know, eight years or 10 years or something. And uh, one of the members of the family was, you know, uh, they weren't here very long, but they were here long enough. And they got into preterism from watching a couple teenagers online talking about how these things have been fulfilled. And I had, Lisa and I went and talked to them, you know, and we went to their house. I'd been at their home before. And uh, it was was heartbreaking. There were tears. It It was heartbreaking. And they said, well, we believe now that the book of Revelation is already fulfilled. And I'm like, and I went, I searched the scriptures, you know. I went to passages like Zechariah 14, right? Zechariah 12, where all the nations surround Israel, right? And then when the Messiah comes, they'll see him whom they pierced, right? I go, when did that happen? And Lisa was with me. And I think you were there, right, Josiah? And, and, uh, and she's like, you know what? I was just looking at that passage. I don't have an answer for that. And then her daughter started crying. And I had to say this. I said, hey, it says in the book of Revelation, when it's fulfilled, there won't be any more tears. This cannot be fulfilled yet, you know. But I, I got up to go. We spent a couple hours there. We had a great talk. It was sad and hard. And we were, that's maybe two hours. We had together two and a half or so. And you think I just come up here and preach, right? No, there's a lot of work as a pastor, you know, because you got to guard the sheep, you know. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. I got up and I recognized, like, whoa, just before I got up. Wow, they used to, because there, there was a big picture. I mentioned this story before, but a little more detail now. There was a big picture at the table in the dining room, and it had a little tiny psalm in it. And I thought, that psalm is so small. That little scripture is so small for that frame. And I remembered, oh, they had another scripture in there. And they took that scripture out because it doesn't fit in their theology anymore. A New Testament passage. And so I waited, and I was praying, God, please give me words for them. Please help me to help them, Lord. And as I got up, I said to them, I said, hey, I just want to let you know the enemy is stripping you of your armor. Your armor is being stripped. Because guess what passage they had? Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, which says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. So you can stand in the evil day, right? Whether it's the evil day of our common, our experiences when we face tribulation in a minor way, or the ultimate evil day, which I can prove, I believe, from Scripture. He's talking about the ultimately, it applies to any evil day, like Job had an evil day, right? But it ultimately applies to the tribulation period. I could prove that by comparing Scripture with Scripture, which I won't do right now. And it says, and then having done everything to stand, stand therefore, having girded your loins with the belt of truth. Amen? And have you put on the breastplate of righteousness? And have you shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Amen. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And taking up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Right? Praying at all times of the Spirit with all prayer and supplication for all the saints. And to this end, being alert with all perseverance. Amen. Making intercession for all the saints. And I said that passage there that's supposed to guard you from Satan You've taken down because you believe either Satan has now been in the abyss and he's not active today. He's not that roaring lion seeking someone to devour or he's been already thrown in the lake of fire, which isn't true because he goes to and fro throughout the earth looking for someone to devour. Amen. And I don't remember all my words, but I was warning them 
that this that wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. You're not now you're not putting your armor on. You're vulnerable. You know? And it breaks my heart because not long after that, you know, not giving names here, some of you know them. We love them. Still pray for them. You know, the family disintegrated, divorce, everything, just years later, you know. And last I heard, none of them are following the Lord. Maybe one or two came back. I hope so. Amen. Pray for, say, the Lord knows who they are. Don't say, well, Joe, you need to give me the names. No, the Lord knows the names. Just, just pray for them. Amen. Because wrong doctrine does lead to wrong living. And that shows you how prophecy, that doesn't just deal with the book of Revelation. Now, by implication, now, guess what? Ephesians 6 is out of your arsenal. Amen. And now you're supposed to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to battle the enemy like Jesus three times whipped out the Word. It is written. But you can't say it is written if you believe it's no longer in effect. This is where the Word of God becomes nullified through a false interpretation. Are you with me? Are you glad we talk like this on Sundays and have just straight-up studies? This stuff's important. We need to be in the Word of God together. You know, we need to know what it says. So this is really, really important stuff, you guys. And... uh. There's different ways you can nullify the Word of God through interpretation. Uh, you know, uh, I had a debate. Some, many of you have seen it. Uh, biggest pre-trib prophecy conference in the U.S. was put on, and they asked me because my video came out left behind or led astray. Documentary. I flew all around the world making that documentary, and it caused quite a stir in the body of Christ. And they asked me if I would come and debate. Uh, as it the, the climax to all these different, because there's all these different prophecy teachers there. And they actually let me, even though I'm post-trib, it's a pre-trib conference, they let me teach separately from that, which was very nice of them. We recognize each other as brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. But I do recognize that those who are, that are teaching pre-trib, a lot of them are very, very sincere, but they're off in this area. So I was like, and will you debate uh, Dr. Stoffer, which I said, yes, I would. Okay, and that was a climax to the uh, deal. And we had a huge crowd. Thomas Ice was there. He was the top theologian for Tim LaHaye, who wrote the, the Left Behind series, right? He was the theologian. He was there. You know, I was joking with the crowd. I go, oh, and, I, and I see Tommy Ice is here. You know, we talked right before this debate, and he became post-trib, you know. Everybody's like, I go, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> you know. So, but we had a good time. But at the same time, it's still serious stuff. So I could love, we love each other as brothers. But we need to discuss these issues. It's like, you know, during wartime, it's a spiritual war we're in, and dad's coming home to pick you up. And a couple of people misunderstand what he said, and you're at the dinner table. Amen? They still love dad, but they misunderstand when he's coming back, right? So you still have to discuss it, but you need to wrap your arms around them and love them. Amen? Right? In that debate, I was, by the grace of God, God gave me love for him and everybody there. Okay? And most of the people, pre-trips came up, said, I won the debate based on the spirit in which I communicated. You know, a friend of ours, Lisa and I know, uh, Chris, didn't even know she was going to be there. You know, I hadn't seen her in years. She goes, Joe, you know, just the way you communicated was, had won the day. Well, that doesn't just win the day, though. You need scripture, right? But I know what she meant, you know. And I think she came in pre-trib, you know. So I think she left at least pan-trib. Okay, close. Okay. <laughs> You know, hey, close, closer, right? At least you're thinking it could not, it could go down another way. You know, so, uh, so we need to love our brothers and sisters, but we need to also speak the truth as family members. Amen. Okay, so don't get just one of those right. Speak the truth, 
or just love, get them both right. Paul said, speak the truth in love. Amen? And, I, and they said, the reason they invited me, and I thought it was really cool, they said, we invited you because you're irenic in your presentation. Now, you say some strong things, but you, we recognize you made it real clear that you count us as brothers. I do. Yet it's serious, because it's not the Hamanian heresy, the Hymenean heresy, Hymenaeus and Philetus and Alexander, the resurrection is going to pass. It's more along, and it's a flammable heresy. It's not a damnable heresy, but it's flammable. It can be very, very dangerous. It's the Hananiah heresy. What's the Hananiah heresy? God gives us these pictures in the Old Testament. The tribulation for the Jews was coming up, a tribulation of 70 years, right? They're going to go into Babylon for 70 years. It was a picture of the tribulation at the end for seven years. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He's the one that has these incredible visions about the coming Antichrist. He's the king of Babylon. He has Jerusalem sacked. He has the temple destroyed. He steals the implements. He takes the Jews. He deports them, but they were in rebellion to God, so God's judging them. But he's a picture of the Antichrist, just like the Antichrist in Revelation 13, who have an image made of himself that will be people who have to worship. They made an image of Nebuchadnezzar. And just like the image of the beast is 600, the number of the name, his name is 666. With, with Nebuchadnezzar, it was six instruments used to worship him that are mentioned. It's, it's six cubits wide, his image, and 60 cubits high. Three sixes. It's a total picture of the tribulation period. But guess what Hananiah was saying? Now Jeremiah was saying, we're going into this 70-year deal. Because, you know, God's going to purify us. And they didn't want to hear it. They didn't like that message. Hey, if I wanted to be, I mean, praise God, we're able to touch millions of people through this ministry by the grace of God, millions of views on our stuff. That's awesome. But we can make it hundreds of millions maybe if I just don't preach these, you know, doctrines that aren't as popular. May it never be. May it never be. Amen. I'm, never, I'm not even tempted with that. But I'll tell you what, I, the prophecy conferences that are popular are not the post-trip prophecy conferences. No one wants to hear, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to be so horrific, and we're going to be there. They want to hear, this is what's going to happen, it's horrific, but we're going to be having a party in the sky. That sounds so much better, doesn't it? But that's not better, because the Lord's course is always the best course. So, Hymenaeus, or I'm sorry, Hananiah, Jeremiah put, was put in stocks. And he, he put himself in stocks, and he walked to the palace, and he warned them, 70 years in Babylon. He put wood stocks on, 70 years in Babylon. Kind of interesting, picture Christ. And we enter into Christ's sufferings, amen? We're made conformable unto his death. And guess what? He is 70 years in Babylon. Guess what Hananiah did? Hananiah came up to him in front of everybody. He's a prophet. And he wasn't saying things that were like overtly evil, like worship Baal, worship Moloch. Sacrifice your children to, the, uh, to, the, to, to Moloch. He wouldn't say anything like that. He probably really believed in Yahweh. But it was a serious blunder because guess what he did? He got the timing off. Not just the timing off. He denied that they would go through that 70-year period. That's all he did. But it was taken very seriously by the Lord. And he took the wooden yoke off of Jeremiah. He threw it to the ground and broke it. He says, thus saith the Lord, we're not going through that 70 years. And the crowd loved him. Woo! What a wonderful prophet. You know, Prophet Joel Holstein. I mean, Prophet Hananiah, you know. So Hananiah's name means, by the way, grace of God. He represents, oh, I'm the grace I'm teaching. God's too graceful, too merciful. Let's go through that. 
You know what Jeremiah said to him? He did what we do. We're talking to our pre-trib brothers and sisters. He took them to Scripture. He said, you know what? You're saying if I prophesy peace, Hananiah, he'll only be considered a true prophet if what he says comes to pass. But the prophets that came before you, like Jeremiah, prophesied wars and desolations. What you're saying contradicts the Scripture, that we are going to go through these things. And evidently, God wanted him to say more because he's just responding, right? And God says, go back and tell him this. Now go to Jeremiah chapter 28 and just pick it up. And Jeremiah, uh, this is pretty crazy. It gets really crazy. Verse 12, the word of the Lord, Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 12, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, go and speak to Hananiah, saying, thus saith the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made instead of them yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations and they, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, our king of Babylon, and they will serve him and I will also have given him the beast of the field. So guess what? By deluding people into thinking that they're not going to go through it, what was already going to be a burden and be like wood to, to yoke them, now it's going to be a lot harsher. It's going to be a lot more painful. It's going to be a yoke of iron. And the people that don't realize that we're going through the tribulation period when it happens, It'll be a lot more painful than it would be if they knew what we're headed for. His words that lamp to our feet, a light to our path. My children perish, he says, the Lord says, for lack of knowledge, amen. And because if they do not have a prophetic vision, as the prophet says, my people go astray. So it's very, very dangerous. And look what he goes on to say. Verse 15, then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah, the prophet, see, he was a prophet too. Listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a what? Trust in a lie. So even though it wasn't saying go after false gods, they were trusting a lie. The lie was, you're not going to have to go through this time. It was very, very, very serious. How much more serious when it go through the greatest, the church is going to go through the greatest tribulation that's ever been, right? Or ever will be. No wonder it says in Matthew 24, right when the tribulation starts, and you will be hated by all the nations. It doesn't say we'll take over all the nations post-millennialism. It says we'll be hated by all the nations. They'll be we'll be delivered to be killed. No wonder it says at that point, many will fall away. Amen? And in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, concerning Christ coming around, being gathered together to him, the rapture, that day will not happen. And if you're pre-trib, I love you. You're my brother. I praise God for you. Amen? And I love, you know, we love to, I've had some really good scriptural times, you know. Uh, like I said, Doug lasted eight years. I, I don't think we just, we probably didn't even talk about it much. We just witnessed together all the time. Amen? I knew Doug loved Jesus, you know. And I think we were in front of a pizza place witnessing here in Seeming. We had a really good talk. And, and Doug had listened to Walter Martin, who he loved, Dr. Walter Martin. And he did a really great tape called The Church in the Tribulation. He was the Bible answer man, you know. And it's just really cool, but we need to talk to each other. We need to talk about these things. Amen? So uh, in the, it says, now you, if you're pre-trib, I encourage you to just listen to a couple verses. Just two will do it. Concerning Christ's coming, are being gathered together to him? Everybody agrees, pre or post, that's a rapture. Verse 3, that's verse 1, verse 3. Let no one deceive you that day, what day, Christ's coming to gather us to him, will not happen, it says, until the apostasy 
or rebellion comes first. The fallen away. And the man of sin is revealed, the set of perdition who exalts himself above all that is called God. Let's worship as God. So he sits in the temple of God, show himself that he is God. Then he says, verse 7, then the, then the Antichrist will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the spirit of his mouth, the brightness of his coming. He comes afterwards to destroy him, post-trib. And I don't want to get all into that, but that's, that should be sufficient. There's a ton of that. I've got hours and hours and hours of teachings on that. Uh, anyway, they, re, they were going to, well, guess what's going to happen here? Look at what happens. At the end of verse 15, you made my people believe what? A lie. And the church believes a lie right now. It's a typology. I believe it's a typology picture that's happening right now. Same thing happened then. It's happening now. Verse 16. By the way, I want to say this, though. Notice what he calls the people who are believing this lie. What does he call them? This is very important. These are still his people. Do you understand that? His people could fall into believing a lie. They're in danger. Some will, some will rebel. They'll go to Egypt instead of Babylon, right? And say, shine you, God. And they'll do their own thing. That's when that, 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 that flammable heresy becomes really, really dangerous. Others will say, I can't believe we're going through this. And they'll cry out to God. And eventually they'll be restored, Right? And he gives them a hope and a future. That's that passage that reveals to, the, it's to those that are in Babylon. He's going to give them a hope and a future if they repent, right? Get right with God. But look at verse 16. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh, the Lord, Behold, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. That's to Hananiah. This year you are going to die because you have counseled, what? Rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year, in the seventh month. Make sure we take our doctrine. The Bible says teachers will get a stricter judgment. Amen? Let not many of you, James 3, 1, seek to be teachers, for teachers shall incur a stricter judgment. Amen? I fear and tremble, man, when I, when I share Scripture. I'm like, Lord, help me. Please help me not say anything ever wrong. Amen? That's my heart. That's my prayer. I don't ever want to lead anyone astray in the slightest way even because I want to stand before God. I want to please him. He saved me. I want to bless his heart. I want to bless the parts of my brothers and sisters. So, this is interesting. Notice, they believed a lie, and they're going to rebel now. Because they're like, wait, we're not supposed to go through this. God said, he used the prophecy. He said, we're going to go through this. That's what's going to happen when people go through the tribulation. It starts. Wait, we're not supposed to see the Antichrist. How, how could you let me do this, God? Because they've been taught so well, and such, not really well, but in a wrong way, that if God loves you, he'd never let you go through the tribulation period because he's a God of grace and love and, and not wrath. And we're not appointed to wrath. Therefore, you won't face wrath. Therefore, you won't face the tribulation period because there's wrath in the tribulation. Otherwise, God would be breaking his promises. So all of a sudden, you're in it, and now you're saying, no, whoa, whoa, I'm not supposed to be here. He, but guess what? They're missing something. The Bible doesn't say we're appointed. The Bible says we're not appointed to tribulation. Amen? Yeah, we're not appointed to tribulation. But we, I'm sorry. Woo! I sound like I just changed my whole view in a second, right? <laughs> the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, uh, we're not appointed to wrath. Amen? We're not appointed to wrath. What did God do with his people in the land of Egypt when Pharaoh was a picture of the Antichrist? Even when there was the plagues, you know, they were covered by the blood of the lamb, the Passover lambs. Well, the word lamb is used of Jesus more than any book of the Bible in the book of Revelation on purpose. And it says we're not appointed to wrath. And my pre-trade brothers will scare people. God wouldn't let you go through that because it would be wrath at that time. But they know very well that the wrath of God's. What about those who become Christians after they go to the tri in tribulation? If the rapture was pre-trib. 
If you look at any pre-trib movie, the Christians that, those that become Christians after tribulation, guess what? They show them as not being appointed to wrath. Those who don't get raptured, then they come to Christ. Watch any Left Behind movie. Watch Thief of the Night or Image of the Beast, all these older pre-trib uh, movies. The rapture happens, but all the Christians, they're not suffering God's wrath. Because guess what? Pre-tribbers know deep down. They know that God's not going to pour out wrath on the believers. So quit trying to, and you show that in your movies. So quit trying to scare people with something you know that you don't even, you don't even believe is going to happen. For those who are left behind and they become Christians later. Amen? In fact, in Tim LaHaye's study Bible, which I have, he wrote the whole Left Behind series. In his study Bible, one of the footnotes says that God will protect the believers, the tribulation saints, those he believes that will come to Christ afterwards, from the wrath of God during that time. Remember when darkness came upon Egypt? Remember Goshen, where God's people were? There was light. Still, amen? amen? It's those who take the mark of the beast. It says a grievous sorrow will come on their hands. Well, Christians aren't taking the mark of the beast. Amen? amen. So we're not appointed to God's wrath. But the Bible says we are. This one I was saying appointed. We are appointed. The same book that says we're not appointed to wrath. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says you are appointed to tribulation. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now what's heavy here is Jeremiah says that Hananiah counseled them in rebellion, to rebel. Isn't it interesting, if you look at the NASB, the NIV, it translates the word fallen away, that will happen first, in, in conjunction with the Antichrist. A lot of modern translations translate it rebellion. It's going to happen all over again. Think about that, you guys. Think about that. It's going to happen the same way it happened then, because people aren't ready. I think the best translation of apostasy, that Greek word there, is fallen away. But when you look at falling away in the New Testament, it occurs twice. It's used in the context of falling away. If you look at it in the Old Testament, the Greek Septuagint, what we call in theology the LXX, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, apostasy, every time it comes up, it has to do with falling away from God. But it's connected to rebelling because then the people that fall away, of course, they rebel against him. So I don't have a problem with the re rebellion translation. But they go together. Falling away is a rebellion. Rebellion is falling away. So there's a Hamanian heresy, there's a Hamanian heresy. And what a cool way to end this book right now for us, amen? As we got just this study, I, do, I have to do one on the very last verse. I'm going to do a little more tonight, today, of course. But I'm going to do uh, one on the last verse because it's, it ends with the grace of God. And I thought, I need to give some warnings to kind of like book, you know, to bookend this book, right? So some warnings to kind of sum up a lot of the book. And then the last verse, which talks about the grace of God. I want to end on the grace of God because this book is, a lot of people think, Revelation is so terrifying. It's all about wrath, all about judgment. No, it's full of, it's full of mercy too. And I can't wait. To, I've, I've got that message probably three quarters of the way done. So understand how serious this is. Because when I was debating Dr. Doug Stoffer, uh, now, I didn't know. He's actually a nice guy. During the debate, I didn't think he was so nice. A lot of people said, what happened? You know? But I said to people, afterwards, he came up to me, and he treated me really nice. He said, hey, I want to praise God for your ministry. You guys are out there right where Hollywood is. Your videos are just having a great effect. And he was all positive and very encouraging. But during the debate, though, um, you know, it's just you know, the way people, people are different when they debate. But uh, it's interesting because I showed the effect because he had a book that I have, a huge book, and I had pages photocopied. I put up on my slides. And because of his view of dispensationalism, which was more what we call hyper-dispensationalism, I show where he has these graphs, these layouts, where 13 of the New Testament books, 13, that's over half the New Testament books, are not for us as Christians today. They were just for the Jewish believers in the first century, early part of the first century. 
And we show Hebrews and James and First and Second Peter, right? Part of you know the book of Revelation. It's not for us. In fact, he says in that book, if you're reading those books, you're reading somebody else's mail. And I said, this is serious, guys. And I'm talking to pretty much a whole pre-trip crowd, right? And there were, that's what I said. I was trying to remember. Did I say, did Tommy, I say that? I couldn't remember exactly. That's what it was. Is different people came up to me before the debate. Christian leaders, they secretly, kind of like Nicodemus coming to Jesus. Not that they're Nicodemus, and I'm definitely not Jesus. But they came like, hey, Joe, just let you know, I'm with you on post-trip too. I'm like, praise the Lord. You're, you're post-trip, bro? Thanks. You know, I say that, you know. But <laughs> praise God. Thanks for telling me. But I said, I said that at the beginning of my debate. I said, a couple people came up to me. I go, Thomas Ice was one of them. That's what I said. Thomas Ice came up. And then I go, no, not really. He didn't say that. Uh, but I had a good talk with Thomas Ice prior to the debate. But it's interesting. When I showed that, Dr. Stoffer said, hey, when it was his turn to talk, he goes, hey, I don't believe that anymore. You know, I don't believe that anymore. That's not what I believe now. So that's not fair. Well, I didn't know he switched his beliefs. And I asked him, I said, well, why are you selling that book in the foyer area? You know, if you don't believe it anymore, you know. And, uh, which he was, you know, and praise God, because he sent me an email, sent us an email, our ministry, and wanted to know if I would help. He's editing that stuff, the stuff that he doesn't believe anymore, out of that book. Like, those 13 books aren't for us. He wanted to know if we could help. Actually, I think he asked for assistance or something. Yeah, Chad's going up and down. Yes, he was. He's asking for assistance on do, editing it. And I said, hey, tell him thanks, but we can't do that because I will edit out the preacher rapture, which he still holds to, you know? <laughs> and I can't endorse the book and say, yeah, this ministry helped us edit it, and they're post I'm like, no, no, I can't do that, you know? So, uh, but I praise God because the work you do can, but guess what? His view, even prior to that debate, had been affected to a degree, right? Where he backed off on some things. So we need to have these discussions, and they can be very, very helpful. And that's very, very important. Now, it's interesting because, by the way, the church is in the tribulation period, you know. Uh, in fact, uh, you don't get a better description of the church maybe in the New Testament than Revelation chapter 7. Tribulation's already been going on, and it talks about a great multitude. Now, what if I told you, just talking today, say we're not talking about the book of Revelation, we're just talking about, just, I just start the service, I go, wow, there's a great multitude of people around the world right now. In all these different nations, these peoples and tongues, right? And they've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And, you know, who would I be talking about? I'd be talking about the church, right? Well, in Revelation chapter 7, it talks about a great multitude that no man could number, right? From every nation, people, and tongue that have been cleansed by the blood of Christ that come out of the great tribulation period. That's the church. In Revelation 13, 5, it talks about how the beasts will make, for, through 7, make war on the saints, well, who are the saints? Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Right before Christ's second coming in verse 11, when he comes on his white horse as king of kings, the Lord of lords, guess what you see right before that? Revelation chapter 19. It says, just before Christ comes back, it says, and his bride made herself ready. And she was, and she was able to be clothed now in what? White clothes, shiny and white. Amen which is the righteousness of the saints. The saints is the bride. And the bride is who, by the way? The bride is the church. And she's there all the way to the end in Revelation 19, just before he comes back. Don't say, let me tell you, oh, the church really isn't mentioned in the book of Revelation. Are you kidding? 
Well, the word church isn't mentioned. Well, the word bride is the church. The word bride's mentioned. Saints are mentioned. Those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus are mentioned. I go on and on with that. I've had whole studies on uh, the church being in the tribulation period. So it's very, very important that we understand how serious all of this is. Uh, you can add, you can take away, you can add the the Roman Catholic Church didn't just add, doesn't just add to Scripture. They added 14 books to Scripture. The Apocrypha. Not just a few verses, not 14 verses, 14 books. Well, why don't we accept the Apocrypha? Well, the Old Testament Jews didn't accept the Apocrypha, you know. Uh, Jesus never he quotes all kinds in the apostles. They quote all kinds of books of the Old Testament. Way back to Genesis, right? Daniel, even Jonah Jesus refers to, right? All these different books. You never see them once quote any of the 14 books of the Apocrypha, Jesus or the Apostles. In fact, the Catholic Church did not accept the Apocrypha as part of the canon of their Bibles until 1,500 years after Christ. And you know why they did? You know why they accepted it? Now, oh, this is part of our Bible now. 1,500 years is a little late, right? But why? Because, in, because guess what? In the Reformation, Martin Luther who was a Roman Catholic monk, he rebelled against the Roman Catholic Church. He said, no, this is because he saw them selling indulgences, selling salvation. Give money to spring your loved ones from purgatory. It's not just your prayers, but if you give us money so we build our cathedrals, you'll get them out of purgatory because the blood of Christ can't do that. You know? you'll, get, you'll get them out sooner so people start giving money. And Martin Luther, like, wait, he's reading the Bible. He goes, this isn't scripture. He goes, wait a minute. We're justified by grace through faith. By faith alone we're saved. And then he tacked the 95 Thesis up, which a lot of that had to do with indulgences and how they're selling salvation. So the Roman Catholic Church is like, man, how do we get around this? They don't have any verses that say to pray for dead people. Ooh, but then you got First and Second Maccabees. And it's not, there's no purgatory mention or anything, but at least they have somebody praying for a dead person. <laughs> Oh, the Apocrypha is part of the Word of God after all. You guys. Then they added the Apocrypha, 14 books of the Bible. Are you with me? Are you following me? Am I going? I'm trying to slow down a little bit. Does that help? Okay. That was 1546, by the way. So it's just, it's just crazy, all the things that are going on right now. And it's, it's heartbreaking. In fact, it's interesting because uh, Wednesday, when I came to service, you know, I checked my text right before I walked in, and, uh, and Chad, you know, uh, said, this is a super cool text he sent to me. And I just read this right before I came in Wednesday night to teach, and it says, a couple months ago, I had a co-worker who became a really close friend, and she slowly introduced the gospel to me throughout our shifts. You guys share the gospel with people, amen? And she says, when I told her I was Catholic, she planted a seed in me, explaining the differences between exegesis and eisegesis, which is reading into the text or drawing from the text. Exegesis is getting from the text. The Catholic Church practices eisegesis. Then in the same conversation, she brought up the fact that Jesus, was, Jesus has siblings. From there, our conversation snowballed into harder facts for me to accept, like purgatory, not being biblical, and Mary worship. Then, when I felt ready to dive deeper into the false doctrine of Catholicism, she shared this channel's Catholicism examine series. Chad and I and our team, Good Fight team, we did a whole series on Catholicism examine, went through the, the scriptures on our podcast. You should listen to it. If you're like, man, what can I do? We've got some cool podcast cups, covers all kinds of stuff. Call Catholicism examine series, and my heart was shattered. 
But thankfully, the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I saw the truth about what I was believing. The lunch break on our following shift, I heard the word of God through her, and I repented my life of sin, for my life of sin and became born again in Christ. After a month later, we found decent uh, denominational church that was more than happy to baptize me. Thanks in no part uh, to the work of you, Pastor Schimmel and Chad, put into the beautiful channel. I have made significant steps in my walk with Jesus and staying on my toes with music, Hollywood, and false doctrine like OSAS. All the glory goes to God. For we maintain that the person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans, Romans 3.28. She loves scripture now. Casey White. Uh, she or he? I think it's a he, right? He loves scripture now. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what it's all about. Amen? Well, just after that, uh, there's a couple I hadn't seen before, and they were sitting up front, and, you know, Bob was uh, with them, and uh, Bob Kincaid, and, and just as service was, uh, just it was ending, I was talking, I haven't really shut it down yet, we're still talking, but he walks up on the stage with them, I'm like, what's going on here, man? And uh, praise God, it was, we had a little fun time introducing to them, and, and they just came from you know, I think an hour and a half away, hour and 15 minutes away. And uh, I got, and I said hi to them. And then I thought, man, I should spend some time with them. So uh, my appointment didn't show up for counseling. So I was like, hey, you know, so we went to Chili's and talked for a while. Guess what? Sound like the same testimony, right? And let me read that one, okay? Uh, and I said, did you guys, uh, t- no, that wasn't us. I'm like, wow, tell me more of your story. And you know what? I have a picture of the family, Right? We could put that up. But I'll read this as, as Jonathan's doing that. A few years back, after a lifetime of following a secular view of what life should be and time spent following worldly pursuits, I found myself craving something more than what uh, this life can offer. This is Gene and his wife writing. My wife and I began on a spiritual journey for truth. With no one to guide us, we went to different religious denominations to see what they were about. And well attended as they were, uh, they were lacking in some way or another. And most uh, importantly, Uh, We never felt the presence of God in these institutions. Uh, The world had deceived me for so long, and my fear was that uh, it could deceive me again. Feeling lost and overwhelmed, I prayed. I prayed constantly several times a day that the Lord would guide me to something I can latch onto. And it was at that time that I came across, uh, and I haven't read this yet, okay? It was sent to me, but I haven't read it. I read the first few lines, so I I know, but I heard their testimony, some of it. Uh, Not everything in here necessarily. Uh, I, I, it was at that time that I came across We Sold Our Souls uh, for Rock and Roll and The Good Fight Ministry on YouTube. The message rang true to me, and I found uh, Pastor Joe to be a sincere, knowledgeable, and the information, and good-looking, no, he didn't say that, uh, <laughs> and the information he gave to be verifiable. Uh, verifying the scripture verses used in Good Fight gave me an insatiable hunger for the Word of God. I found myself reading the Bible anytime I could, and I used the information to help me seek a good church. And he's found a good Baptist church he's going to, by the way, they told me. I don't know if that's, oh, it's coming up. I see the word Baptist. Around that time, a church flyer was posted in our apartment complex. I really did not pay much attention to it. But the next week, I saw another invitation from the same Baptist church. I did not go. Uh, But this time, I told my wife, if I see it again, I'm going to take it as a sign that I should go. 
And wouldn't you know it, the next week, for a third time in a row, I saw the invitation posted in the elevator of our apartment. We went that Sunday. Before the service, I helped, uh, I helped a woman uh, bring her a baby stroller down some stairs. It turned out that the woman was the pastor's wife, and she introduced me to the wife of the pastor. That day after the service, me and my wife got saved. Uh, then my five children, after a few months, we were all saved and baptized. Uh, we have been faithfully attending the church multiple times a week since the Good Fight YouTube video, Catholicism Examined helped me bring my 87-year-old Catholic father and mother to turn to Jesus Christ. And that's in the next slide. Uh, we can put that one up too. Now, he's not in that one, Gene, but that's the rest of the family. And his older son is, you might have mistake for Gene because he's a, he's a pretty grown-up guy. Um, my 87-year-old Catholic father and mother turned to Jesus Christ. Now my older brothers and sisters who have never attended church are starting to attend Sunday service. I even have my best friend coming to church now. Good Fight Ministries, the 511 News, and Blessed Hope Chapel gave me the tools I needed to put on, get on the narrow path and help others. My life has been completely turned around, and it's been a really a blessing witnessing God bear fruit in the lives of those I care about. These guys are great people, by the way. I spend a lot of good time with them. I just wanted to say thank, uh, thank the Lord for the work you do, and God bless. Keep shining the light for those uh, that want to get out of the darkness of this world. Keep up the good fight. Okay, so praise God. These, this happened the same day. I saw one, and then... And I read that, and then I shared with these folks. And, and, uh, and I was going to edit this down a little bit, but I didn't have time this morning. But praise God, it's, it's beautiful. But right now, you guys, we have to realize how serious all of this is. I have two books up here. These are by people that are post-millennial or, or, or just twisting Scripture. These are by the part of the New Apostolic Reformation group. They teach that they are the apostles today, and they're like the 12 apostles, and the churches are, all the churches are going to have to submit to them in their leadership. And the governments of the world are going to take over, and the governments will have to submit. The media, education, arts, Hollywood, music industry are going to run it all. That's such a pipe dream, such a lie. And these books, guys, these, are, these aren't like little guys. These are like apostles, considered apostles in the movement. This is by Bill Johnson. Okay, You ever hear... You know, what's their popular music called? Bethel music. You wonder why we don't have Bethel music? A lot of their doctrines in their songs. Instead of praying humbly, God, please, it's always these decrees. Look at their songs. We decree this. We decree that because it's part of the prosperity movement. Name it, claim it, all that stuff. And we don't want to be affected by it, you know? And in this book called Evading Babylon. Now, you and I know what happens to Babylon at the end of the book of Revelation. It's destroyed with fire, Amen. Well, guess what? In evading Babylon, Jesus, the Lord says in 18.6 of Revelation, not to take over Babylon, but to come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins and her plagues. If, you're, if you take over Babylon in the end, you're part of Babylon, and you'll be destroyed by the Lord. And in this book, written by Bill Johnson and Lance Wall now, Bill Johnson's the leader of this whole NAR, one of the, the main revivalist leader. In Redding, California, I'm thought, I mean, it's all here, you know. I mean, he says we're going to take the kingdoms of the Lord and become the kingdoms of the world. You become kingdom of the Lord. I'm like, yeah, but show the rest. It says Jesus comes back. That's how that happens. Not us taking over. He totally twists the scripture. And right here in this page, I mean, it's right here. It says it right here. How do we take over the world? Question mark. We must have a strategy, and the strategy is the seven mountain mandate. Let's take over all these institutions. And guess what? I think, I believe what's going to happen, they're not going to take them over. They're going to compromise. And they're going to be part of it. 
And they're just decide everybody's just a believer. They just believe in different ways because they're already incorporating all kinds of New Age occult teachings. They go to psychic fairs. They tell people their future, but they pretend they're psychics. Well, you're not getting that from the Holy Spirit, you know. And this one is by the, the Seven Mountain Prophecy by another so-called apostle, Johnny Elno. And in this book, guys, I mean, he literally, literally says that Christ is not going to come back until after we've taken over the world. We, you know, basically, we set up the millennial kingdom. Then Christ can come back later. We'll give him, a, look like we did. We saved the world. Now you can come back, Jesus. We'll give it to you with a nice bow on it and everything. Here's your present, you know. And in this book, I mean, I wish I had more time, but I'll just state this. Everything gets twisted. Because in this book, he says, now, I've been warning for years. Rick Joyner, one of the leaders, considered apostle in this movement. Rick Joyner, uh, one of the, he has a civil war prophecy that God gave him that the grays and the blues will be war in the church. And the blues represent those who are getting new revelations. When they're really kind of adding, they're adding the book of Revelation. And the grays will be those who use their brain matter and have, are in the discernment and what's right and what's wrong about you know, prophecy and everything. They're the ones that are the bad guys. Woo, they're setting us up, guys. In fact, in this book, Lance Wall now says this, left brain Christianity, left brain, those who use discernment, thinking, who test everything by the word of God, left brain Christianity will be the last great religious enemy that the church of Jesus Christ will have to face. Yep. I'm not making this stuff up. That's why I'm bringing these books. I, I read the other side all the time, guys. And guess what? Guess what? Well, how can he make us the enemy? We're the Antichrist. Listen to what he says in the next page. Antichrist can also be translated against the anointing, and they're the anointed apostles with all these miracles, you know, which is not really happening. And when they are, they're usually counterfeit, right? He says, the Antichrist can also be translated against the anointing. The Greek word Christos means anointing. It's a translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah, which also means anointed one. The, this Antichrist can ultimately be discerned by its anti-anointing stance. It will be the pompous and subtly opposed to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and power. Believers who live their lives resisting the anointing will become an unwitting part of the Antichrist resistance tool, right? And the anti-anointing. In other words, guess what? Us who don't go along with these false signs and wonders, as Jesus said they'd be doing false signs and wonders, deceiving if possible, even the elect, and that the Antichrist will come with all kinds of counterfeit, with uh, uh, power of Satan, with all power signs and line wonders, counterfeit wonders. That's what's happening. But if you're against that, you're the Antichrist. You're left brain, you're thinking, you're, you're one of the greys. And this has been happening. I've been worrying about this for years. But now, guess what? It's taking on a shape that I never thought it would be at at this point. So, guess what? Now when you see Antichrist, you think of Christians who are discerning. And now what happens? You end up adding to the scripture who the Antichrist is. And you're saying things that aren't true. And then guess what? Now you make Christians, true, genuine Christians that love scripture, they're the Antichrist. And they're, as he says, the enemy. Is this sobering stuff? We're going to do a whole video on the New Apostolic Reformation. Okay, so let's pass out the communion. And if we could do that quickly, that would be great. Because Yasmin gives me two or three minutes grace period. 